Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Is it good to be alive today? I mean, the opposite is dead. Is it good to be breathing today? I mean, the opposite of that is not good. I know that we all have things in our lives and struggles in our lives and battles in our lives. But the fact that the Lord just gave us this moment, this day, another day, another breath... We need to come to the understanding that he is not done with us. That there's still a purpose and there's still a will to fulfill. There is no way that I can stop and I could quit now. 2024 is a year to move forward and to fulfill God's will in our lives. Amen? I'm I'm excited for that. We're going to get into some heavy stuff today. And in the next 11, 12 weeks or so, I don't know if you know this, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you haven't been here in a while, but check this out. Today, to start off our year, we are starting a new series that is titled Under the Sun. It's based off the book of Ecclesiastes. First off, my first little thing that I want to share with you is as you're there, you could pray because I want to keep my voice throughout this whole, um, (laughs) the whole message. And... um, Hopefully not going to like some crazy attack here of coughing. But the Spirit of the Lord will get me through it all. Amen. But I want to get into this thought of under the sun and what does the book of Ecclesiastes have to teach us. The reason why we titled it under the sun is because that's an important phrase that is mentioned a lot in this book of Ecclesiastes. It's a phrase that is used many times and if you search it up, it is said to be used around 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's a lot of times that it's mentioned. One pastor um, jots down that it's mentioned up to 58 times. Now, when I was listening to that, I said, well, I personally haven't uh, taken the time uh, to count, but I'm sure that in the weeks to come, you're going to hear it a lot. So that what you can do is every time we read under the sun, go ahead and take count. And when we're done, you let me know what number you came up with, whether it's 29, 37, 48, 50, whatever it is. Uh, But the whole notion of this is that it's important. That's the point of it. And that the author is making a point about this phrase, under the sun. What I would like to do is I would like to read uh, as an introduction, chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. You might be like, whoa, the whole chapter, it's only 18 verses. We'll get through it. So in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, as we jump into that, I want you to join me. If you have your Bibles, you could open it up. If not, it'll be up there on the screen. Bring your Bibles next week. Highlight, take notes. We're going to be going through a lot of important things throughout this book. And this is what it says as I read today from the English Standard. It starts with this bold a statement in the top, and it says, or this bold title in the top, if you're reading from the English Standard, and it says, all is vanity. I mean, here we are starting the new year, and how positive can we be? All is vanity is how it starts right from the beginning. 
And then, come on, give some room for some good stuff. Well, we'll get into all of this. Verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, The words of the preacher, everyone say preacher. preacher. The son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Come on, preacher, get a little bit more upbeat here. What does man gain by all the toil? What does toil mean? Anyone want to take a little shot at this? Work, right? Labor. What does man gain? Now, um, women, you could take this for yourself as well. As it does say man, what does man and women gain by all the toil? At which he toils, works, labors under the sun. You define your work, your labor. Some of you work in a factory. Some of you work in a classroom. Some of you work in front of a computer screen at home. Some of you work in a cubicle. But what does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. What do you get out of verse 4? Time is what? It's moving. It keeps going. Whether you're here or not here, what's going to happen? It just keep, If God wants, if it continues in the flow of the way it's going, it's just going to continue to come. Did you notice that you couldn't hold on to 2023? It doesn't matter whether you saw an apple drop or you saw uh, an orange rise or whatever your style is. It came. Why? Because Ecclesiastes tells us a generation goes, a generation comes, the earth remains. The sun rises, verse 5, and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises The wind blows to the south and goes around the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. The wind will do what the wind does. The sun will do what the sun does. Generations will come and generations will go. Earth will continue to fulfill the will that its creator made it to do. Everyone with me? Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. That's a marvel. The sea is not overflowing, but it's filled with water. To the place where the streams flow, they they can flow again, and all things are full of weirdness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That is true. You're taking vacations. You've seen the Grand Canyon. I can't wait wait to see it. But the Grand Canyon, the wonder of it, your eyes see it. Maybe you've seen it multiple times. What happens? It becomes old. What's the next thing? Let's go see the Great Barrier Reef. You dive it multiple times. And what is it? It's just a reef. Your eyes see things, okay? And, 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 and your ears filled with hearing. But look at verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing. Here it is. And there is nothing. Here it is one more time. And there is nothing new under the sun. Welcome to our series, Under the Sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this, is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later, latter things. 
yet to be among those who come after. You could pause there and say, whoa, what is he saying? Well, let's just finish this just so we could get into some stuff. From vanity of all his vanity, he goes into wisdom. And he says the vanity of wisdom, if you're reading from the English Standard. And I'll read these last verses. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart. Here he is, the author, the one who is writing the book of Ecclesiastes. He's saying what he's doing in chapter 1. He's saying this is what Ecclesiastes, the book, is about. I've applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. You taking tallies yet? And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, here's the preacher, here's the writer, here's the one who is taking examination of all the earth. He's examining everything under the sun. He said, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom. You, have an, you get an idea of who this is already that's writing? Surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The word of the Lord for today. It's going to be a good series. Under the sun. You know, to say that there's nothing new under the sun, as this author so perfectly does, and he starts in chapter 1 describing the wind, what your eyes see and what your ears hear, everything about a man under the sun. What does he mean by this? It's important as you write down in your notes that you should write this. It means that there is nothing that is really new here on earth. Nothing new. All the activity of man during their life, during their lifetime, is lost in the greater scheme or in the grander scheme of things. And the author of Ecclesiastes says will be forgotten eventually. In chapter 1, verse 11, just in case you forgot what I said, he says there is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I could pause right there and preach a whole message on chapter 11. Because I can talk about how we could be so worked up about our toil, our labor under the sun, that we forget intimate, beautiful moments with our family under the sun. And we forget like, oh my goodness, everything that I worked so hard for won't be remembered. So what can I give as a legacy to the next generation that they'll be able to carry to the next generation? Why? Because nothing of that will be remembered. 
I'll prove it to you. Says she's wearing a, a Buffalo Bills jersey. I'll ask Winter, says she's such a Bills fan. I'll say things like, who was the Buffalo Bills quarterback eight years ago? I mean, who knows? <laughs> you have to Google it. Unless you're a, a, a crazy fanatical, like, you know stats and you're a sports almanac. I could say, who won the World Series 26 years ago? Go. Did they? That's a good guess because the Yankees are probably the best team in baseball <laughs> over its history. So maybe, but I think that he was guessing. But who remembers? Who remembers these things? I, I, I see sports and I see these commentators like Troy Aikman. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about right now, just ignore me for the next two minutes. I'll get back to the word in a second. And he used to be a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And I remember Troy Aikman, good looking, blue, sharp eyes, always nice hair. I mean, just a good looking quarterback. I remember him playing for the, the number, the, 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 the America's team, the Dallas Cowboy, with players like Emmitt Smith and Michael Irving, coaches like Jimmy John. What a team that was. And now I see Troy Aikman with Joe Buck, and he's announcing a football game, and I say, that's not the Troy Aikman I remember. You want to take a guess? Why I say that? It's getting old. His hair is not as good as it used to be. His skin is more wrinkly. The stature is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hope I look like him when I'm his age, but. <laughs> his stature wasn't what it once was. What I'm telling you is that the author of Ecclesiastes says, there is no remembrance of former things. These things pass. You see, we need to know that the author is writing from a perspective, not necessarily of a heavenly one, but I'm going to do a study of the earth. And he's writing from an earthly perspective. He's looking at the earth, and what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to take God out of the equation and I'm going to see what I find. If I remove God from here and I take a test and I measure this earth, what will I find? And what you see he finds, as you already see in chapter 1, is he finds that it is a messed up world. It's a messed up world. Which is why as we read through the book of Ecclesiastes and we introduce this book as we read through chapter 1, this is why we desperately need God. We desperately need God. For what? What we need, we just sang the song. We'll sing hallelujah until we what? Until he comes again. And we'll dance in your presence until what? You come again. We just sang the song. We are desperate for God. And we need God to come. Everyone say come. Did that scare some of you when you said it? Come. We need the Lord to come and to rescue us. And you could say, from what? I'll, I'll tell you from what. From a world which is messed up. It's messed up. It's going the wrong directions. They're making the wrong decisions. We cannot fix it. And the truth is, if you look at your own life and if you've tried, you've seen the difficulty it is to even fix your own life. Had trouble fixing your own life? Struggled with that? 
And then you come to a humbling place where you bow down before your creator and you learn this, that the only one who could fix it is none other than Jesus Christ. Come on, 2024 is not coming. 2024 is here. And I don't know what next week's going to bring. And I don't know what this summer is going to bring. And I don't know what's going to happen during the time of fall. But I do know that whatever happens and whatever is in 2024, there is one truth for this whole entire year. And that is that the only one that is in control and can fix anything is Jesus. Some of us are waiting because it's election year, and this might be the moment to fix our nation. I'm telling you, starting now in January, that it's not the time to fix this country. The only one that can and a nation all throughout history, it will be our Lord, our God, our King, and His name is known to us as Yeshua, is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus fixes it. 2024, I mean, I'm not prophesying, I'm just using common sense, will be an interesting year. Common sense. Don't come to me in November and say, whoa, bro, you're a prophet. It's common sense. It's going to be an interesting year. If you forgot, go back for you. It's going to be an interesting year. But we are rooted in the fixer of all things. And his name is Jesus. So what's up with this book of Ecclesiastes? And what's up with this author? Well, I guess we could come to this understanding that Solomon is the writer of this book. How many of you thought that Solomon was the writer, is the writer of this book? Yeah. I would probably go with that as my guess, though his name is not written. I would say if I had to guess or put any money on it, it would be Solomon. Solomon's the author of it. We can say that my guess and our guess comes, yes, his name is not mentioned, but it comes because we see that he is the son of David and the only son of David who was king in Jerusalem. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, he, it says that the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So it leads us to say, oh, this must be circling Solomon. Solomon has to be the writer of Ecclesiastes. And that's what most Bible scholars have placed themselves to come to understand that Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon. We know that Solomon did not just write Ecclesiastes. Does anyone know what other books Solomon wrote? Partooking is a, a very popular one that I love. Proverbs is one. Good. Want to take another one? The Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Those are three books in which Solomon took part of. Uh, most Bible scholars believe that he wrote Proverbs in his early uh, years, Song of Solomon in the middle years, and here we have the book of Ecclesiastes later on in his, obviously, later, older years. And he comes to this place of all my life has been lived out. Let me write this book of what I found out. And he's called, and the name of this book as we know it is called Ecclesiastes. I think that the word, the name Ecclesiastes is a very interesting name to name this book because what it means. What name, if you know anything of the Greek language, do we see as a root there in Ecclesiastes? Ecclesia, Ecclesia. 
And we see that the title of this book, Ecclesiastes, it's, it comes from that root Greek word, which means church, the church. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says the words of the preacher. Here's a book of Ecclesiastes, which is one who calls or gathers the church. That's what Ecclesiastes means. It's a gathering of the saints, a gathering of the people of God. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, as the church is being gathered, as the people of God are being gathered, the words of the preacher are being spoken. Very fitting for a gathering like this. In Hebrew, that, that, that phrase, it means that the pastor or teacher, the preacher is speaking to the crowd. Koaleth, I believe, is the Hebrew word, if I'm not massacring it. But you see that, that there, there, it's, there's significant words that are in the beginning. And Solomon is writing. And as he writes to his people during his time, he also writes to us as an older man. And from a perspective of an older man, you could learn a lot from older people, from, eld- from those that we could call elders even. Because they've gone through stuff, they've experienced, they've encountered things. And if there's a man that I would like to sit down with and say, tell me about your life, would probably be King Solomon in his late years. Let's drink some coffee, let's sit at the table, let's look back at your life. And Solomon begin, the tape is rolling. And in his writing, he begins to write, And you'll notice as we read chapter 1 already that, hey, how come he's writing with a lot of disappointment? There's a lot of feelings of disappointment. There's a lot of frustration and even some regret in his writing. And you're going to see that throughout this book. Well, I will say this, that maybe Ecclesiastes is not meant to depress you and to be depressing. A depressing book or writing or what we would call maybe like a journal from a king. It's not meant to be a depressing journal of an old king. How about, as we take weeks now to read through Ecclesiastes, we look at it like this. It's a reminder. You should write that down in your notes. A reminder. A reminder that someone like Solomon could have everything in life. A reminder that he could have it all. What does all look like? Well, If you know anything about King Solomon, he had all the fame he could get. Kings and queens from all around his world would come and visit him and marvel. He had all the fame. He had all the money. He had all the power. He had all success about relationships. He had it all. And in his writing, you're going to learn this, that Solomon, though he had it all, everyone say all, he still at the end of his life, learned that none of it satisfied him. Wow. None of it satisfied him. You want to know why? Because if God isn't in it, then none of it truly satisfies. So what should you do for this new year? Why are we starting this book in January? Because if you want... To be satisfied, make sure Christ is always in it. You can learn from an old wise king. You with me? So what am I doing for 2024? I need to make sure as I study this book that God is in the equation. If not, this year is going to rock my socks.
it's going to flip me inside out. I need to make sure Christ is in it. As we read, we will get the sense that Solomon is venting as he's writing. And you saw that already in the first chapter. The wind comes, the wind goes, it circles around, the, the water is filled, but it doesn't over. I mean, he's just venting. But as he's venting, you're going to learn that he's actually warning. He's an older gentleman, knowing that younger <clears throat> readers are going to read this. And he's warning us that we would learn from the mistakes and the bad choices that he made. Hey, um, I want to talk to the parents for a moment. Parents, have you ever told your kid, don't do that? Learn. I've got, and the reason why you're teaching your child, don't do that, especially if your child's older, is because you have gone through something similar. So you're teaching them and telling them, don't do it from your very own mistake or failure or your very own experience. Have you ever counseled, advised anyone or your very own children, anyone here, with don't do that because I myself am proof of that? Anyone in here? That's what Solomon's doing. Warning not to be mean, but because I've been there. I've done that. I bought the shirt. Listen to me. You know my son. He's smarter than me. You guys know that? He's wiser than us. He's smarter than us. He knows more than us. He counsels me and Nancy. <laughs> does. I mean, who are we to challenge his knowledge? <laughs> anyone there? Ever been there? With anyone. It doesn't have to be a kid. Just sit in front of someone like, oh my gosh, you're just not getting it. But then, you know, you know what happens to people like that? They get older. Like, I'm a little bit older now, and I think about my parents, and I'm like, oh man, they were actually right. They actually made a point. Well, why do you think? Because they're older. And they're wise. <laughs> I mean, he's not biased at all, but more experienced. Solomon is writing from that place of his heart. It's not so that you can have a horrible 2024. It's as a reader so that you could be warned. Don't make these mistakes. Don't make these choices. Hey, church, if you're going to understand this book... Solomon's like, read it. Read it as a warning, not as me venting to make your days bad. I'll prove it to you. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm eventually 12 weeks from now, if, if it is 12 weeks, if not, maybe more. He ends the whole book of Ecclesiastes like this. Sorry, but I will repeat this when I get to chapter 12, but I'm going to share with you now anyways. In chapter 12, look how he ends. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight. And uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed. Are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Here it is. 
This is how he ends the book of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Wise words from an old king. Under the sun, what should we do? This is it. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of all men. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the year where all your secrets, where all your good and all your evil is brought before God. And you start making the decision to do good and follow his commandments. Amen? Solomon, in this book, is being honest. If I were to say how honest, I would say brutally honest. He shows his frustration in life. Look at everything I've experienced. I've experienced everything to the fullest. Everything that money could buy. Solomon doesn't have a question. You know, when we read Ecclesiastes 1, like, wait, 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 was Solomon an atheist? People have actually said that. No, Solomon was not an atheist. Did you not see how he ended chapter 12? The question wasn't whether God exists. Solomon's question was, does God even matter? Does God matter, not exist? And that's what he's going to define. So I believe that this book is going to teach and touch and move us in a special way because all of us, wherever you are in life, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, independent, live in a shack in a mansion, drive a Tesla or a gas car, I don't know, electric or gas, uh, Lou or someone else. Um, what, what, what other examples can I, can I give? A Bills fan, Dolphins fan, right. All those examples. We could all relate to this. So in his honesty, he touches on something so important. Write this down. Life, everyone say life, is so unpredictable. Some things are not always happy and fun. How many of you have had a happy and fun time in your life? I have had. But how many times have things not been so happy and not so much fun? Some people try to do the best that they can. Do you know that there are actually some Christians that are trying their best to honor God? But yet... They're faced with difficulties, with challenges, what we would call heartaches or maybe tribulations. Maybe you're here and you could relate to this as I wrote down these words in my notes. Lord, I'm doing everything I can, God. And then everything starts to unravel in your life. There's people like that. We go through these things. And when we go through things like this, it can make someone say this. Ready? Here it is. Does it really matter if I even follow God anymore? That's a very important place if you're there. Oh, the water's rising, 
and you're asking this question, should I even follow God anymore? The book of Ecclesiastes is written for you. Because he's taking out a measuring, a magnifying glass. He's studying everything under the sun. And he's going to answer, does it matter if you should follow God anymore? Oh, I'm going to answer that. Give me 12 chapters to answer it. And that's what Solomon's going to do. If you're in this place, you can't miss these weeks to come. If you're in the place of, does it even matter if I follow Jesus anymore? I believe the book of Ecclesiastes is a very important book for you. Because absolutely it does matter. In this walk, I'm here to tell you, because I have experienced it, obviously. In this walk, you're going to get tired at times. In this walk, you're going to start lacking enthusiasm. In this walk, there's times where you could become cynical. What I mean is everything is about your self-interest. We could, we could actually serve God and forget about the importance of serving others. Everything is about my own self-interest. We've walked this walk long enough to know that it doesn't take long where we begin to make it about ourselves. Church becomes about us. These Sunday gatherings become about us. Our friendships and our church, everything that we do becomes about us. And we forget, wait a minute, it's never about me. It's about them. It's about others. It's not about me getting tired and lacking enthusiasm. There's more to this. So Solomon, at his old age, takes us on a journey, and he says, let's go study everything under the sun, and let's see what we find. How many of you are excited for this series? So how does he start? Dear journal, vanity <laughs> of vanities, all is vanity. What a way to start your journal entry. What a way to start your warning. The word vanity means, and it can mean vapor. It can mean smoke, a mist, that all is fleeting, that nothing satisfies. It does not mean that life has no meaning. The word vanity, it's just that, hey, life is just hard to understand at times. Life is difficult. It's almost as we could say, it's hard to take hold of. It's hard to grasp life at times. I'm sure that if you're old enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Solomon became king somewhere between 14 to 17 years old. Some people believe 15 or 16. And when God tells him, Solomon, what do you want? Ask me anything. Guess what he asks for? Anyone know? Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. So the Lord gives him wisdom as he, we get to know the author. Not only does the Lord give him wisdom, he says, because you asked me for that, I'll give you a long life and I'll give victory over all your enemies. And Solomon is a blessed man. If you read and you study the life of Solomon, he's blessed beyond his years and wise beyond his years. We understand that God can give us something Something so precious, like wisdom, discernment, riches. But in Solomon's life, we could see that we could waste it. We could squander it. Solomon is a great Old Testament reminder of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Someone that has all the riches from the father. 
but could squander it. Squander it and waste it on living that does not please the Father. Solomon wasted what God gave him, and he didn't apply his very own wisdom. As we read it in Proverbs, he didn't apply it to his own life. Here is the guy that wrote Proverbs, and yet we see some downfall in his own life. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Solomon, listen to these words, made an alliance. He made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I want you to see that for a moment. Solomon does something, and we could say, well, where did it go wrong for Solomon? You're saying that he squandered and he wasted his life. Well, here in 1 Kings 3, 1, we see that Solomon makes an agreement, a pact, an alliance, as this verse tells us. Some people believe, obviously, if it's with Pharaoh, it was a political agreement, a political alliance with Pharaoh himself. And to seal the deal with Pharaoh, he would marry one of Pharaoh's daughters. But what happens with Solomon's life is, I'm not saying any of us, just Solomon's life, this deal shows that he didn't have full confidence and trust in the Lord. Solomon married trusting his own intellect. And what that was going to do is get him in a lot of danger. You know, people get married and in marriage, they get themselves in a lot of danger. Because they didn't trust the Lord in their marriage. They trusted in their own intellect. And here's Solomon. And he, he, he doesn't have confidence. He, he marries a woman, as we read, who's from Egypt. She's a, a pagan worshiper. And you could say, okay, hopefully he learned from this. Well, he didn't. Not only was it with Pharaoh, but he made many agreements, or let's stick to the word that we've used, many alliances with many other nations. And part of these deals with these other nations required that he would marry the daughters of these kings. Why? Because Solomon was the greatest man on earth. And if you were a king, you want your daughter to marry him. Let's read some scripture and enjoy this as we learn about the author of Ecclesiastes. Watch this. <clears throat> in 1 Kings 11 verse 1, it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Just love your women that are right there. Love your very own wife. But no, he loves foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. The Lord warned Solomon, and he still chose otherwise. Guys, it gets really, gets a whole lot worse. To all my married folks, how's it going? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a field of flowers and roses, sunflowers, the sun. There's never one bad day in marriage. No, marriage is, it's two working together to make it work. Watch this. Why are you saying this? Verse 3. He had 700 wives. Immediately, some of you men said, "Woo!" But immediately you thought about your wife and said, no, I can't. There's no way. How does a man have 700 wives? when I'm still trying to make it work with one wife. 700 wives. Uh, I mean, you knew it wasn't going to go well. 
with 700 wives who were all princesses. Not only did he have 700, but 300 concubines. I mean, just in case he got bored with the 700 wives. And his wives turned away his heart. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Does this sadden you? As was the heart of David, his father. This should sadden you. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil. Guys, the wisest, richest, most famous man on planet earth, given wisdom by the heavenly father, discernment beyond his years, and he does evil in the sight of his Lord. And he did not fully follow the Lord as his dad did. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, verse 9, because his heart turned from him, turned from the God of Israel who appeared to him twice. And he commanded him concerning this that he should not go after other gods. I'm not saying that anyone in here is going after another god. I doubt that. But if you ever think about going after another god, I want you to know that it crushes the heart of the one true living God who loves you. It crushes his heart. So the Lord says to Solomon, can you hear the heart of a father in heaven? Since this has been your practice, your lifestyle, and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear your kingdom and I will take it from you and I will give it to your servant. Do you think when God said this, there was a tear coming out of his eye? I think there was a tear in his heart. Solomon lived his life. Can you imagine? I'm 42 years old. Now, guys, this year, I'm going to be 43. The Bills fan's not allowed to say anything. She just sits there and just, 43, I'm going to be 43. At 43, with a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and married for 16 years. And that's nothing. If God continues to give me more life, look at Solomon. Oh, man, Lord, that I would live my life correctly like King David to old age. Solomon lived his life as though nothing had changed. And that shows you how far he was from the Lord. He just kept going with life. But you're going home with two 700 wives worshiping their gods. And he never looked at the mirror and said, Solomon, what have you done with yourself? Church, under the sun, look at the mirror, look at it often, and say, how do I examine myself before my true and living God? You with me? Solomon's life is a very important life in the Bible. You know that you can't match anyone with Solomon. I mean, let's take Jesus out of the equation, but character by character, you can't match anyone with Solomon. He's unmatched. You put him in the ring with anyone, they don't stand a chance. 
Here are some of his accomplishments. Ready? I'll prove it to you. You know when you watch a boxing fight and they show all the accomplishments? The knockouts, the wins, the losses. Look at this. Ready? Solomon gathered massive amounts of wealth. Not only that, he fortified and built up Jerusalem. Not only Jerusalem, but other cities around the towns and regions around Jerusalem. Not only that, he built his royal palace. Watch this. Look at the heart of Solomon. This is kind of the places where he was going wrong, which took twice as long to build than when he built the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. We see that Solomon's priorities were wrong. He did better work in his palace than in God's house. Not only that, but he expanded the borders of Israel to a great distance. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 21, 22, and 23, I'm almost done. I'm going to wrap this up very soon. Listen to this. It says, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. Guys, when you go to my house, guess what you drink out of? Most likely, a solo cup. And if I'm really fancy, a glass cup. But you'd be amazed how many glass cups I break. I break them very often. I'm actually in the record in my house for breaking the most glass cups. I break them all the time. But guess what? It's just glass. I'll buy another case because it's cheap glass. That's why it breaks. It's not really me. It's the glass. <laughs> the fact that Scripture says that Solomon is drinking from gold shows you that gold has no value. He's so rich that that which he could break is made out of gold. I, I want you to see these words. All the vessels, all the vessels of the house <clears throat> of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Can you imagine walking into Solomon's house? Everything was gold. It was so rich that nothing was even silver, it says. <laughs> He's like, do you want silver? He's like, silver? <laughs> Who has silver? I'm, give me gold. Silver was not even considered anything in the days of Solomon. Today it is. Verse 22, for the king had a fleet of ships. And once every three years, the fleet of ships used to bring gold from Tarshish, silver, ivory. I love this. Apes and peacocks. Like, who says, hey kids, you're up, for a, you're up for a pet? I'm bringing a load of apes. Solomon does because he drinks from gold. The king, Solomon, excelled. He excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Why am I expounding the life of Solomon? Because if I'm going to get to chapter 2, 3, 4, all the way to 12, you need to know the gravity of who the author is. You need to know him. If you remember, in March 2022, I preached a message on Solomon, and I said in today's economy, listen to this, Solomon's net worth would be around $2 trillion. He was not a billionaire. Solomon was a trillionaire. Not one time but two times over. That's how rich. 
Can you imagine saying, I'm a two-time trillionaire? It's mind-blowing. As we get ready to come full circle for today, I want you to think about this. It's possible to live a full life like Solomon and still be completely empty. Don't live 2024 having a full life. But at the end of the day, you're completely empty. Oh, you have the go- you're drinking out of gold. You're bringing apes to your house and peacocks wake you up in the morning. But yet you go to sleep and everything is empty. You look to the rooms and you have 700 wives. And you look at your guest house and sleeping over every night is 300 concubines. And yet, you're still empty. Do you see why we started this year with Ecclesiastes? You want the fullness of this life? How many of you want fullness of this life? It's not found out of the gold-drinking vessels you drink out of. It's not found in one spouse. Or in 700 spouses. It's not even found in all the wisdom that God can give you. It's not even found in all the discernment that God can give you. You want fullness in 2024? If you're going to be blessed under the sun, then live holy and righteous under the sun, which is Jesus Christ, your Lord. I want my under the sun to be well, but it can't be outside the sun. If my under the sun is going to be holy, and when I say holy, I'm saying W-H-O-L-L-Y as well, not just H-O-L-Y. If I want it to be holy and holy, I have to be right under his son. Come on, let 2024 be your year. Not of gold drinking vessels, but under the sun, I'm under the sun. Can we make a shirt, Lou? Kevin, where are you? Can you and Lou tonight send me a design of under the sun? Let's sell it next week. Let's do a fundraiser for our church, and let's all wear under the sun shirts for our series. So you guys be creative and think about how it could be um, under the sun, under the sun, and all that good stuff. I want to be whole under the sun. How about you, Jesse? Dr. Andino? My loving Bills fan, Winter? My boy, Raul? 
What's up, George? Ben, under the sun. How are you going to be under the sun? Under the sun. That's how I'm going to be under the sun. Under his sun. Under his sun. Living a full life without God, Solomon said, it's all vanity. We've lost many people in this church. Many brothers, many sisters. Some of them have left the things of God. And it's sad. It's sad if we do that. Because it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all mist. It's all vapor. It's all smoke. God is the only one who brings perspective, who brings value, who brings purpose, who brings meaning. And when he's not in the system, in the equation, you could have it all like Solomon. But yet in having it all and accomplishing it all, you could be as empty as can be. And that's Solomon's story. Ecclesiastes is a wonderful wake-up call. It's a reminder to some of us of the importance of having God not first. Do not make God first of your life, please. If I could give you any advice today, is do not make God first. Please make God center of your life. You guys thought I was going to do her- something heretical today. Oh, no. This is going to go up on YouTube. Don't make God first. Make him centered. And then he would be first in everything. A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, it goes to the place where it rises. The wind blows, it goes around the north, around and around. And on the circuits, the wind returns. I'm going to start off 2024 by telling you, as much as you want to control everything in your life, please, if this is for you, just write it down and take it with love. As much as you want to control everything in your life, good luck. Because if you're in God, you have no control. Don't try to control it. It's going to frustrate you. You can't change your past and you can't predict your future. But all you need right now is God in your life. Time keeps going. What has been is what will be. Verse 9, what has been done will always be done. There is nothing new under the sun. There is a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already even the ages before us. As we started today and we close up here, Nothing is new. It's all been here. Stay focused. Stay focused on Jesus. Stay under the sun as you study under the sun. I'm going to close up. I'm going to read, skipping all my notes just to close up because the Lord has said what he's had to say today. 
Because as we close and we come to a place of prayer, I want you to examine and just meditate there in your heart. And I tell you, in life, who really is remembered? That Cowboys quarterback from 20 years ago will not be remembered. If I ask you right now, unless you know them all by memory, because you're so studious in government, but if I were to say who was the 12th president of the United States, go. It's hard. You need Google. But what they stood for and what they put to action, what laws they passed, it's not remembered. Come on. Who will really be remembered? On earth, this cycle continues. And when we're done here, we ask ourselves, then what? I tell you today, maybe the world won't remember. But if I could leave you with one powerful statement, here it is. Though the world may not remember, heaven remembers all your deeds. And that should rock your heart. Ecclesiastes 1.11, I'm going to read it. Not from the English Standard now. I'm going to take a break from the English Standard and use Eugene Peterson's message translation. He says, year after year, it's the same old thing. As you meditate there in your heart, does someone call out, hey, this is new. Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. (laughs) And he says, don't count on being remembered. The question of all questions is this. Where does God fit in this thing called your life today? That's it. Where does God fit in your life today? Under the sun. Not yesterday, forget yesterday. Forget tomorrow, you can't predict the future. But right here, right now, if King Solomon were to come up on this stage, on this platform, he'd probably tell you this. Where does God fit in your life right now? Today, in this moment. From here on out, in this very moment, with this very decision, heaven remembers it all. So church, as we close and we pray and we study under the sun, Lord, may we always remain rooted and see ourselves for who we are, our identity in being under the sun. And may we know where you fit in our lives today. I pray for this church. I pray for every brother, for every sister. I pray that you would strengthen them. Strengthen them right now under the sun. I know today's not too sunny, but we're under the sun right now. We're alive. Give us a breath to worship you again. I want to pray into every servant in our church, every leader in our church, every volunteer in our church, every ex-volunteer who once volunteered but has been tired and burned out and weary and has stepped down from volunteering. Lord, I pray for an excess revival of energy, enthusiasm, strength, growth that people would serve, volunteer, 
advance your kingdom that we would see right now as we start off this year oh this is how God fits this is what I could do right now in my life this is what the Lord needs to do I need to surrender this is it right here this is how God fits and I pray that every spot of vacancy of things that we didn't know that our church needs will get filled of ministries that we don't have yet this year I pray that they will be begin to exist and that people will begin to fill up those spots I pray that our kids team the emptiness of it will begin to be filled up and and the welcome team our hype would begin to fill up and our worship would begin to fill up and and Lord every aspect of who we are our finances would begin to fill up and this room would begin to fill up and and that we would have to grow to multiple multiple experiences and encounters and, and things thinking beyond what we've ever thought here for years because because we've actually allowed you to fit fit in our present moment and and, and that we're under the sun this year and, and that under the sun everything is growing and vital and everything is flourishing and things around us can be collapsing and dark but there is a light and there is a holiness and there is a brightness and there's a radiance that shines from the nest that is so contagious that people that are lost and dark would have to run to the light and Lord perverts would be made straight oh God that addicts would become clean oh God oh Lord that everyone that is crooked would become straight because of the radiance and the power of God that is found here at Net Church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Marriages would become whole. Loneliness would begin to be filled. Sadness would turn to joy this year. Hopelessness would turn to hope. I, Lord, I, if I could prophesy that I speak to the dry bones to live again. That under the sun, this place would take its form to a newness, to a new thing that you are doing. As my father said in the huddle, and as our brother Rizzo said in the announcements, and as the Spirit is speaking over us in this moment, under the sun, if we lost vision, bring the vision back. Not the old vision, but a new and better vision, a new and better energy and strength. that Friday nights would get filled with young people. That this place would get filled with worshipers. That it would shake because we're under the sun. I want to be like a sunflower. It just faces the direction of the sun under the sun under the sun strengthen this church I'm going to ask the worship team to sing that song over us one more time
And if you feel that the Holy Spirit, if you feel like the Word of God has moved you right now, listen, I'm not asking you if my emotions got you and if you just feel like the Holy Spirit is rocking at your heart. He's tugging at your soul. That this year, under the sun, it's going to take a different form. How God fits in your life at this moment is going to take a different form. I'm going to invite you to, to a new place of worship like never before. I'm going to open up the altar. Come and worship. And we'll close up in prayer in a few minutes. Come on, worship team. Let's begin to, to just erupt this place. I pray that our worship team would worship with a new anointing and a new power, a new, a, a greater depth of glory that you would break a seal over our worship and that heaven would fall over us. Use this team, expand this team within them expand I invite you to worship the Lord the altar is open between you and God oh Lord I'm going to serve you this year oh Lord I'm going to honor you this year come on let's worship and we'll dance in your presence till you Come again. I'll just sing hallelujah till you come again. And I'll dance in your presence till you come again. We will sing. Sing hallelujah till you come again. Yes, we'll dance in your presence till you come again. Yeah.
up here this morning I believe that you're at the cusp of what he wants to do in your life and I'm just asking you to be obedient to what he is demanding of you break through this morning because I believe that you can do it through Christ that you can do it do you believe in him this morning we'll sing hallelujah and we will dance in his presence and I encourage you to lift your hands and dance in his presence. Come on. And I'll dance in your presence. I'll dance in your presence. I'll dance in your presence. Come on. Dance in his presence. I'll dance in your presence. Dance in your presence. I'll dance in your presence. Dance in your presence. sing 
and that we would dance, that our song this year would sound different, that our dance this year would look different, that, Lord, we would honor and please you, that, Lord, we wouldn't chase all that life may want or can give us, but that we would chase the one who gives life and what you can give us. Lord, I pray that this would be the the beginning of something beautiful, of a miracle, of a prayer that has been in so many hearts. We give you all the glory and we give you all the honor May your grace be with us and keep us under the sun. In Jesus' mighty name. And together we say, amen. Come on, give God some praise. As you get ready to leave today and pick up your kids and go and eat and I I want you to look around today and Maybe get to know some people you don't know yet. But I would love for you to consider this invitation. Can I invite you? There's some people that I know would have been blessed if they would have been here today. They would have benefited from a service like this. And sometimes sending the the link of YouTube doesn't doesn't do the same because you're not in the praises and in the faith that is gathered up in here today. I I, want to give you an an invitation, an invitation to invite those people that you know, as I thought of some, that you know they should have been here today. Because we want to start believing that this would be a place of healing for them, a place of growth for them a place where they could see others and and grow in God's love here together. So you know who those people are. You know the phone calls. I invite you to invite someone. And um, I I hope we have a a very good problem next Sunday because we're, we're, we're bringing in people that we know they need to hear from the Word of God. Guys, have an amazing, amazing rest of a Sunday and an amazing and powerful week under the sun. Holy and holy. And we'll see each other again as we get ready to gather. Men, circle next Wednesday. I think we're going to encounter the presence of God in a powerful way here, just us men together next Wednesday, the 17th. Amen? It's Wednesday. Next Wednesday. We made a mistake. Remember, next Wednesday. Three words. Maybe look at someone. Maybe you could look across, someone in the back, someone in the front. Say the three words. Ready? Look at them in the eyes. Ready? One, two, three. You are loved. Amen. Go in his love. Praise God.